Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. It is your favorite podcaster, Mark Atreer, with your favorite podcast, Making a Cut. Thanks for joining me again. As always, you know where to find me. My link is going to be on my Facebook. But of course, anywhere that you get your podcast, you can find me, especially on Spotify. You can go to Spotify and click follow, and it's going to alert you anytime I have an episode up. And as you can tell, uh, nowadays, because of baseball, coaching baseball, it's every other week and sometimes a little bit longer than that so i thank y'all for staying with me and uh, not giving up and keeping on listening and thanks for you those of you that have been uh, messaging saying hey when you got a next another episode coming up i can't wait to hear it so i appreciate it a lot so this week we got a we got a good bit to talk about you know two weeks of uh saints and lsu football nfl and college football as well and uh let me say this before we get started can anybody stop the miami dolphins right now my gosh, putting up 70 points today in, in the NFL football game, which uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are kind of on that same trail too, <laughs> playing in the game of the week against Chicago. I don't know who uh, set that up to be the game of the week. Even I, I, I know that it, the NFL schedulers, uh, you know, set up their games of the week with air quotes at the beginning of the season before the season starts, actually, uh, with their scheduling. But I, I think at some point. Uh, you, you had to look at it and realize how bad off the Bears are this year. And to say that, you know, just make the, the common sense change and saying this is not going to be our uh, NFL game of the week. So anyway, I, I just wanted to share that with there. But before we jump off, you know, college comes before NFL. So let's jump off into that. I got a lot to talk about with the Saints. Um, give you give you my take on the Saints, how they look and how today ended, of course. And then, of course, LSU. Uh, in college football, the state of college football as of right now. So let's jump off into that. Let's jump into some college football. It, you know, the last episode that I had, I, I talked that there was, there's a lot of difference this year in college football than what we've seen in, in, in a long time. Um, I've made some comments to some people that I know that, you, you know, uh, maybe college football is is uh, is rigged or scripted like I've said the NFL is like the WWE for the last couple years and the reason why I say that is because when you begin to look at it and you look at the Pac-10 Pac-12 Pac-2 you know whatever they are now the Pac-2 basically they've been they've been like not good since the college football playoff has rolled around Uh, and really not since really since uh, USC's heyday with Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, you know, and that group. They did have a little stint here where Washington makes it to the college football playoff. Oregon makes it to it. You know, they don't win it. And, you know, they, but they were there. Uh, but they were, other than that, they, they were kind of a weaker conference. It was kind of like Clemson, um, you know, Clemson or Florida State. Whoever wins that conference is going to run through the conference because the rest of the conference was horrible throughout that time. And same thing with Texas and Oklahoma and the Big 12. You know, it was going to be one of those two teams, basically, right? Uh, it, yeah, and it's it, it was Oklahoma for the most part. But with the Pac-12, they had just been down for so long, man. And and really, like I said, they, don't get me wrong, they've always had some good teams, but they've been so down, and they had completely, honestly, fallen out of the college football playoff pitcher. And uh, that's how bad they've fallen off as a conference, as a Power Five conference. And now they're no more. Uh, and you know, the, next year they're going to have two teams in there. Uh, and that's that's really it. But isn't it ironic or isn't it almost scripted that 
their last year of existence as the Pac-12, they're they're very they actually are the best conference in college football right now. When you begin to look at it, and you look at it objectively and unobjectively, uh, you look at it and you see look at all these teams that are that are there that are winning that are beating other teams that have uh, that are ranked. Their conference from top to bottom is the best conference right now. I mean, all the way down to Washington State, Oregon State being ranked as well. But you know, Oregon State's probably going to fall out after losing to Washington State this week. I hadn't double checked on that. But Utah and USC and even Colorado and, and I mean, it, the list goes on. Oregon, uh, UCLA, and Cal are down at the bottom of it. But I mean, you, when you look at the conference there, that's that's more than what really the SEC was this year. And uh, and and it. You know, it kind of goes to my argument there that uh, that maybe it is a little scripted. I mean, just think about it. There's a lot of money rolling in and out with, with the NIL. There's a lot of money rolling in and out with DraftKings and all of that. And Vegas always pulled the lines on everything anyway. So just saying, not being a conspiracy theorist, I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe, you you, you know, I kind of break the, the glass for you to hear it too and see it. You know, I know I've said it for the last couple of years with NFL absolutely obvious the last couple years i mean not to not to just toot my own horn or to uh pound it in on my point there but i mean you can go back to last year uh in the playoffs kansas city and uh cincinnati and not just because i love cincinnati because joe burrow and jamar chase are there uh but when you watch it uh you know for a team to get two third downs you know just just leave that on out there there's so much stuff if you go all the way back to the no 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 call as a Saints fan, I understand. But back to the college football, you could see why, what I'm talking about there. If you don't agree, it's okay. If you think I'm crazy, that's okay too. You could let me know. If I open your eyes to it and you kind of think, you know what, maybe maybe you got something going there, you, you can let me know as well. Y'all know anytime on, I post it on my Facebook, you're welcome to message on there. You can private message me as well. Uh, and I think you actually can message me on Spotify as well. I don't check that that often, but you're welcome to do that. I love to be able to talk uh, to anybody about sports. Uh, if you ever want to debate, we can debate. It's all. It's always good. Just, just know, uh, it's all in fun and games. Even if we razz each other, that's that's just gonna be fun. We're gonna talk trash, but we're gonna do it the right way. So anyway, college football. So, I, I, I let me start out by saying this, and I've kind of given uh, Deion Sanders a little bit of a, uh, you know, a pass, and I've also kind of given him a hard time on some stuff. Because, like I said, I do absolutely agree with what he said about the NFL Hall of Fame and there need to be levels because they're just letting people in that are not like game changers. That sometimes you have to look and say, well, who did they play for, etc. It's true. Uh, like when you when you look at it, like the uh, NFL now, Adrian Peterson is absolutely a Hall of Famer because you look at what he did in NFL, he overtook the NFL. He was the best player at his position for the longest time, right? So you understand what I'm saying? So there's a reason for me to argue with, to, to agree with uh, Dion there. Uh, there are some stuff with Dion that it's like he's a little bit more boastful than me, uh, than I would prefer. Uh, and, but in, in at the same time, he always thanks God and praises God and puts God first on everything as well. Uh, but at the same time, putting himself out there first. So, and, 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 and I want everybody that's listening to know that I'm not hating on him at all. Uh, and you can go all the way back to when I played peewee football. Deion Sanders was my favorite player. It was him and, him and Barry Sanders and Jerry Rice, that, that group, you know, uh, Ricky Jackson, all in that area, uh, that era. And, uh, but Dion was my favorite when I first started playing football myself. I had to have his number, I had to have that 21. 
And uh, and so it, my love for Deion Sanders goes all the way back then. I still think he's the greatest cornerback uh, of all time. And uh, I, I used to love his celebrations. I used to love his his brassness, his you know, his brashness. I should say. And uh, it, you know, it makes the, the the game fun. And I will say this: all of this stuff that can be looked at as arrogance by Dion this year uh, at Colorado, in many senses, is what that that team kind of needed to be able to change the culture there. And follow with me, because I'm going to go back and forth on this, and I don't want you thinking flip flopping. But they there needed to be a change to be able to build confidence there for them to be able to, to believe that they can win. Because even though he brought in all of these guys uh, to the team there in Colorado, there still needed to be a, a lot because of confidence being built there. Because there's still a lot, in a sense, unproven. You have a bunch of guys that are coming from uh, you know Jackson State, etc., and a bunch of transfers coming in from all over the place to play for Coach Dion, etc. And, and uh, and, and so there, there needed to be that building of confidence as well. Uh, but, you know, you always, uh, in, in that area, and, I, and I, I tell the kids that I coach all the time, there's a difference. When you're, when you're going into a game, you go into a game with confidence or you go into it with fear. And unfortunately, you know, neither one, both of them can be dangerous for you, right? Uh, because if you go in with fear then the other team's going to beat you because you're so afraid you're going to make a mistake or you're so afraid that the other team's going to beat you that you just, you falter to that fear. And when you go in with confidence, you know what you're doing. But if you go in there with an overconfidence, it's just like you're going there uh, afraid because your overconfidence causes you to be able to not do the small things. That's what you do in most times. And sometimes your overconfidence could embarrass you because sometimes you can get beaten by teams that you absolutely shouldn't get beaten by because you had too much confidence. And uh, too much confidence is arrogance. And sometimes when, when you're walking in confidence and, and building yourself up, you can step across that line into arrogance. And sometimes that happens with Dion and with the team. And, and there, there was a, a humbling this past weekend, uh, yesterday, by Oregon. And listen, I, 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 was, I, I am four in against Colorado I'm happy that they're there and there are some parts of it that I'm like oh my gosh man just tone it down a little bit you, you, you know you don't you haven't really done anything yet so you know tone it down a little bit you know some people have a problem with uh Deion Sanders wanting to be called coach prime instead of coach Sanders or coach Dion or whatever it may be and uh, you know this is on personal preference and sometimes that can come off as arrogant I understand that I completely understand that sometimes it gets underneath my skin as well because it's like dude just be you but he is being him but there was a an, an humbling experience and they just absolutely got blasted by Oregon but what made it so humbling for them was when you go back to when uh, Colorado showed up the day before Dion takes his team out to the field and they're stomping all over uh, the logo etc that is going beyond confidence and going into an arrogance and when you go into a place of arrogance like that you almost deserve to be beaten like you were beaten and, uh, and, and embarrassed like you were embarrassed because you tried to embarrass the other team. Uh, whenever you try to show somebody up and then it backfires on you, that's an humble, a humbling experience. So I do hope at some point that it did humble them. I know that uh, some things got taken out of context by Oregon's coach, Dan Lanning, uh, when he was, uh, he was giving a talk to his team. And of course, somebody recorded it and showed it. And the stuff that he said was stuff that you would say in any locker room 
when you're talking about the opponent that you're playing or even just beat, um, you know, to be able to fire your team up. And, uh, and of course, it gets back to Dion. He's like, I'm keeping receipts. Well, the thing about it is, Dion, everybody's keeping receipts on YouTube, man. It's just true. Uh, I mean, when you keep putting yourself out there in a place of beyond confidence and into arrogance, uh, you're creating receipts for other people to have for you too. Backtrack to the week before when they were playing Colorado State. Absolutely beautiful game. Great football game. I will say this, and uh, I, and I was talking to some people about it. Uh, that game there, because of all of the stuff that I was just talking about with the over-arrogance and stuff like that, turned that game into, which was, should have just been a good football game, uh, into almost what it shouldn't have been. There's a tons of fighting. There's a ton of dirty plays. And I know that the, the player that hit Travis Henry with the, uh, which honestly, like Deion said himself, that's just football. Uh, it was considered dirty play. But when you see Deion Sanders' son poking the defensive lineman in the eye, nobody bats an eye at, at that. You understand what I'm saying? That game in itself was was not, uh, like, I, like I backtracked there for a moment where we were talking about bringing a certain culture there for the school to be able to get them to go into the place of confidence. And also, you know, teetering on that line of confidence and arrogance you don't want to be able to bring that type of atmosphere that type of culture to where it's it's nasty it's not good for tv it's not good for football and and you look at like it's it's you're not playing it's not about football anymore and so that's my take on it i'll, I'll leave it at that if anybody wants to talk to me about it they're welcome to talk to me about it and just remember like i said dion is one of my favorite players of all time i had to have his number when i was playing football uh, and so I, you know, as a man and some things, as you grow up, you're like, Hey man, we, you got to kind of grow up too. And I understand if I was in his position, I would try to be pumping my guys up too, and putting all the confidence in the world in them too. But I'd also ensure that they knew the difference between confidence and arrogance. You understand what I'm saying? So anyway, so let's talk a little LSU football, uh, because we did talk college there and I spent a little bit more time on. Uh, Coach Prime there than I wanted to, but uh, I definitely wanted to be able to talk about that. LSU football. So last week they go and play Mississippi State in the Cowbell City of the World. Uh, got to have more Cowbell because they got fever over there, and uh, they just slapped Mississippi State up and down the field, and and it looked great. The offense looked great. Defense uh, looked pretty doggone good too, and uh, and it looked like they were on a roll. It looked like they had finally made some changes. You fast forward to this week, and uh, last night they play Arkansas, and uh, offense wasn't rolling in the first half. Second half, it finally got rolling, and uh, the defense, you know, was having trouble with KJ Jefferson. And and really, when you break it down in the game, if you look at the score on there, let me before I even say that, I didn't really understand Brian Kelly's uh, time management at the end of the game with the timeouts. Uh, I historically, other coaches have ran the ball to run the clock down more and more. And then take the timeout with no with no time on the clock to kick the field goal to win the game. Uh, but what he did worked out, so you can't really argue with it a whole lot. It was just diff- definitely odd, and it was definitely different. And I wasn't the only one thinking, what in the world? You don't want to leave them more time on the clock to have an opportunity to be able to win the game, come back and win the game. Uh, so on that, when you look at the score, LSU wins by three. Um, I will say this, uh, the like I said, the offense struggled in the first half, and then they come back around in the second half, and it really opened back up. Um, I, I didn't get to see the the first half as much as I wanted to. Um, I, I knew even on the touchdown to Brian Thomas, 
uh, Jaden Daniels severely underthrew him, and if if Thomas doesn't make the play to come back, then it's going to probably be an interception going the other way, and then it could have been downhill like the Florida State game in a heartbeat. And the reason why is because across the field, KJ Jefferson is a man. It, that is that guy is an amazing quarterback, and I know. And I'll go ahead and tell you this: he, he this is my NFL comp for him. And I'm not saying he's ever going to be as good as this guy. But I know other people are going to make comps for him when he comes up for the draft this coming year, different ones. My comp for him is actually uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger. And the reason why I say that is because he hangs around in the pocket. He can make moves with his legs. He can make you miss. But he'll take some hits in in the backfield and still roll out and make a pass like Big Ben used to. And, uh, and, you know, I I have much respect for him. And I really like uh, Sam Pittman, the coach up there. I think what he's doing is, is an amazing job. But when you look at it, you can look at it, and this is just the way that the games are played. But when you look at it, you look at it and say, well, man, how good is LSU? Because Arkansas lost to BYU last week, and that's a team that they shouldn't have lost to. And really, that came down to uh, Arkansas beating themselves. And then you look at it, and, and if you really look at it, Arkansas beat themselves again this week against LSU. If it wouldn't have been for all the penalties, they would have won that game, hands down. Uh, and even with all of those penalties and all of the miscues, they still almost won. With LSU, the defense looked a lot better, but we're still having the same struggles on the defense that, that still boggles my mind. Especially in the last couple drives, you can see this. And you have heard me say it on the last podcast, on the last episode. Uh, first and second down, man, we're getting after them. And we're, we're, we're getting good stops and shutting it down to third and long many times, sometimes third and short, but a lot of times third and long. But when you look at especially even the last two drives that Arkansas scored on, whether it's field goal and the touchdown or vice versa or whatever the final two scores were, or even really the final three drives, because we would score and they'd come on back down and, and score too, um, was on third down. You know, there was a play on the last drive that they that they scored uh, on right before that. They called a tic-tac-y call on Harold Perkins uh, that I didn't really agree with. But... It, even if you take that away and you go back a little bit and, uh, it, it, you know, they they had him on third and seven, third and eight multiple times. He couldn't stop him. So this is beginning to it's, – it's been a problem this whole season defensively that first and second down, man, we look unbeatable defensively. And then <coughs> – excuse me, and then third down, we just just screw the pooch. It's the only way I know how to say it. We just give it up every time. It doesn't matter if it's third and seven, third and 12, third and 15. Yeah, third and two we're going to give it up on third down and we're going to allow them to keep the drive going and wear our defense down and we already know where the deficiencies are um and for lsu defensively and it's really the defensive backfield the defensive backs and the safeties safeties played a little or been playing a little bit better uh the db the, the corners are still struggling man but it, it is what it is it's not dbu right now uh, maybe we can get that back at some point y'all have heard me say plenty of times too you know, stats can lie. And, uh, and I'll give you a prime example of that in just a moment because people will use stats to be able to give their argument. And I'm not picking on the guy, but I want to, I want to say this because when you look at the uh, score, it, it, the scorecard and the stats, you look at Zy Alexander, transfer from Southeastern playing starting corner for LSU. At the end of the game, the last play of the game comes down with an interception. So that's on the scorecard that he's got an interception. So it looks like he did pretty good. <coughs> Excuse me. But when you actually watch the game, you realize, like, especially one of the 
touchdowns to the freshman tight end for Arkansas. That was Zaire Alexander. He took his eyes off the receiver of where he's supposed to go, off the tight end, and got his eyes a little too hungry on the quarterback, started rushing in. Boom, got a big play. So you could understand how stats can be uh, misleading. And that's just another example because I always try to let y'all know stats can be misleading. So hopefully LSU's got a little bit of a, a, a you know, they got the, the season. They have kind of, they've been said to have a pretty easy conference schedule this year uh, because of where they're playing, etc. But the SEC is a different animal this year than it was last year. There is a lot of disarray. Uh, Alabama won yesterday, even though it looked like they were fixing to lose. They looked horribly offensively at the beginning of the game uh, and somehow still came back and, and beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss looked like they were going to be great, but you know you can go back to the, how, how bad they look, looked against Tulane. So you have all those aspects. And the SEC is just, they just, we just don't look like we have it this year. And of course, LSU has upcoming this week Ole Miss. They're going to have to play Auburn, which is, is a different Auburn team. Uh, they do struggle offensively. Uh, Alabama struggles offensively. And so it, you, it, Texas A&M, they're up and down one week. They look really good in the comparatively against Auburn yes, uh, yesterday than they did the week before against Miami. So you, you really don't know. And LSU has to come out on all cylinders and fighting, and they have to do it at the beginning of the game as opposed to waiting until the second half to open up the offense. And defensively, they got to be able to do enough on third down or this can turn into an ugly season really quickly because you're fixing getting to the meat of, uh, of conference play. And uh, it, it could get ugly and it could be a beautiful thing. It could be something that turned out great because now all of a sudden uh, that, that conference schedule that was supposed to look so much better, uh, so much easier than others, isn't looking that easy anymore. And the reason why I say that is because look at the way we played yesterday as opposed to the way we played the week before against Mississippi State. Do you have two two uh, two examples of the team not really playing fully a full 60 minutes, and that would be against Arkansas against Florida State. One of them, you know, it didn't bite them completely, but it should have bitten them in the butt against Arkansas. And then uh, Florida State, it absolutely bit them in the butt, right? And you see how Florida State has struggled the last couple of weeks. LSU should have. Had just, I mean, when you look at it through that type of lens and look like, man, are we that good? Are we not that good? Are we still confused on what, who we want to be? I, I don't know. So I, there's still a lot of questions for me. I think there are some things getting worked out. We are getting better for the most part. Uh, but it, it, it's I, I'm still a little concerned about the season, hoping that we turn it around. Not turn it around like we're like getting beat, but you understand what I'm saying. I want us to look better and more of a 60-minute football team as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's much question to it. So uh, you, you understand what I'm saying. One other thing about uh, college football, uh, I watched uh, as much of the USC, I'm sorry, not USC, Ohio State Notre Dame game. And uh, I know um, when you watch when you watch the highlights, if you didn't watch the full game, uh, on the last play, or, and even before the last play that allowed Ohio State to get it like one or two yards away from the end zone, really one yard away from the end zone, and then you had the goal line play uh, where Notre Dame only had 10 players in and they scored. Talking about an opportunity missed is only two or three plays before that. Uh, the Ohio State's quarterback drops back and throws a pass, and I believe it was the safety or maybe the corner for Notre Dame jumps up, has interception in his hands, and it goes straight through his hands. That would have ended the game right there. 
and yes, I was pulling for Notre Dame. I'm not an Ohio State fan whatsoever. I I think they're always overrated, and they get the benefit of the doubt because they are Ohio State. That's just just my take on it, and I am true on that. I am truthful on that for sure. So Notre Dame should have won that game, uh, and and unfortunately, you see what happened. It didn't happen. So it is what it is on there. So to the NFL. You know, I've already talked a little bit about the NFL, but I want to talk about the Saints real quick. When you look at the Saints season so far, um, the games that we've played so far, just it's in a sense, it's mind-boggling. First two games, the defense really won the game for us because offense couldn't get going. And I and, and I know some people were blaming Derek Carr, um, but I can't blame Derek Carr. The reason why I can't is he perfect? No, not at all. Is he a huge upgrade from Jameis Winston? Absolutely, yes. You saw that today when he got injured and Jameis came in and couldn't couldn't move the ball down the field whatsoever. Uh, and and I'll also give that on coaching. I'll break that down in just a moment. Uh, but you have some huge problems on the offensive line. And you could say that that could be Derek Carr's fault as well. But no, it's absolutely offensive line uh, and coaching. The offensive line, uh, you know, the first week gave up four sacks. Uh, and the second week gave up four sacks. And then in the first half, uh, I saw Derek Carr was sacked twice. He's, and then he's running for his life. He's like Falco in the movie The Replacements because he's running for his life trying to be able to get there. I will say this. In the second half, Jameis did get sacked twice as well. So that's again, that's four sacks again. And, and it may have been more, but I did see that he did have more time in the pocket than Derek Carr had in the beginning. Maybe they woke up when they realized their quarterback got injured, right? Um, and I can tell you this, as a, it, it, with any quarterback and any of the analysts or any of the people that played quarterback before can tell you, you begin to see ghosts when you hit that many times. Uh, I mean, he is getting close to having sack numbers like his brother did in Houston. It's not good. And the offensive line is just bad. I mean, and it's not just um, – on the left side there with Pete and uh, I can't think of the guy's name from Northern Iowa. I can't think of it. But even on, on the right side, it, it looked bad today. I mean, they're collapsing. They're coming through the middle. The offensive line just looks like there has no co- cohesion whatsoever. And, and it's really hurting. The other part is, you know, I, it, there's no running game. Partially because you don't have a, the playmakers there. You don't have, um, you, you don't, you don't have Kamara there. He'll be back next week. Um, but the you do have a couple playmakers. I mean, anytime that Taysom Hill gets the ball in the backfield, he's he's moving the ball. There's, I I mean, he gets he, he gets stuffed probably two or three times out of the six or seven times or eight times that he touches the ball, and when it's typically good yardage and and much needed. So I I mean, I would probably put him in the backfield today over Thomas Jones Jr. Thomas Jones Jr. doesn't really do a whole lot. Keandre Miller. Uh, I mean, he only had a couple of touches, and when he did, it was pretty, it was pretty successful. Uh, but here's the thing: part of the reason why you don't have a running game is because your your stars aren't there. But the other part of it, I don't even think is offensive line. I think it is actually on coaching, really, because when you look at it, we only ran the ball nine times in the, in the second half today. You're up 17 nothing, and you only ran the ball nine times. Nine rushing attempts is absolutely horrible. And, and listen, and I, I'm not a James, James Winston fan, and yes, he didn't do what we needed to do for him to win, but if you don't have a running game and you're not even going to try to run the game, run the ball, being up 17 nothing, then that goes on coaching, man. You're not even going to try. 
that absolutely is on coaching. That's Pete Carmichael and his nonsense. And he's always trying to be too cute, and and it doesn't make any sense. It it just does not make any sense. I don't I don't understand the guy whatsoever. And uh, I know he's smarter than me. He's making all the money. He's got the job. But when you when, when you begin to watch it, I mean, look how the offense has done so far this season. It's been putrid. It's been absolutely putrid. You still have playmakers on the field. And some of the stuff that he does when he's trying to be just just for example, that he's trying to be too cute. You have the offense changing uh, skill players and tight ends and running I mean, your receivers, your tight ends, and your running backs are changing almost every down. There's no opportunity for cohesion with those guys for your playmakers. You're you're changing your quarterback uh, every six downs to put Taysom in, and I understand that because Taysom's going to give you a little bit of thing, but you're being too cute. You're never going through it. And the thing about it is, it's still, even though you're trying to do that, it's still so typical of what you're going to do that I can call out what you're going to do before you're going to do it. I know you're going to run the ball on first down. That's going to be your only attempt of trying to run the ball is on first down. And then you're going to pass, 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 pass. And you're going to, and then then you have to punt the ball away. And then the next time you get, you're going to run the ball on first down again. It's, it's so predictable what's going to happen. We tried one screen pass today that I saw uh, the Saints – in their in their heyday were the screen pass masters and we don't run it i don't understand you had the playmakers <coughs> excuse me that's what you would have for keandre miller get him the ball in space and allow him to do something when Kamara comes back stop trying to run him di- directly up the middle yes i know he is successful up the middle but he's even more successful when you get him the ball in space and he's able to do something with a screen pass i understand partially of that is because the offensive line is sucked so bad but you got to do something, man. You got to be able to do something so that your quarterback can be able to play quarterback. And of course, we like I said, we have Kamara coming back this week. But you're most likely not going to have Carr this week. You're going to have James Winston. You already know what that looks like. You have two years of film to know what that's going to look like. I mean, he's probably going to throw a 70-yard bomb and then throw an interception and then fumble the ball away. That's what he does. And so it, it, it looks brim for next week against Tampa Bay, which Tampa Bay with Baker Mayfield looks really good. And they'll get their biggest test when they play uh, um, Philadelphia either tonight or tomorrow. I don't remember which one it is. But anyway, that for the Saints, it can be a long season. We're so used to the offense actually doing something. They're not doing anything. And they're not giving Carr the help that he needs. If they got all the playmakers there, the offensive line needs to step up. The, the offensive play calls have to get – uh, better, uh, they have to get less predictable, and you gotta allow your playmakers to do stuff, man. You gotta be able to get them to place to where they can do it, and, and stop hindering them so much. Give your offensive line a little bit of break and do something with these guys. Anyway, so I, I know I rambled on there for a little bit, and I went a little bit over than what I wanted to, but it was two weeks since you heard from me last. I appreciate you as always. Again, thanks for checking in on me to to see if I'm gonna make some more episodes. I appreciate that a lot. And as always, you know where to find me. My link is going to be on my Facebook. But, of course, anywhere that you get your podcast, you can find me, especially on Spotify. This is your favorite podcast, Mark Contreras, with your favorite podcast, Making a Cut. See you all next time.